Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, where it's two guys take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy. And you, the listener, are getting a degree in common sense. We are broadcasting from the HB5 studios right here in beautiful downtown historic Concord, North Carolina. I'd be your host, Biggin. And how about you? We've got a great show lined up for you, as always. How you be doing? Followed by some wacky news a segment that we call Mojo Reads, and we have special guest Chris McGee with BopFlixFilm.com. So it's, a, like I said, a great show, as always. Uh, but before I begin, let me introduce you to the second half of this flaky biscuit. That's right, I'm talking about the pride of Anderson, South Carolina, 2016's honorable mention beefcake of the year. He is the inventor of the redneck egg roll. Give it up on old mic number one, it's Mojo! Wow, we're getting consistent two episodes in a row. How about you, How about buddy? That? Yeah. Uh, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, please go to our Facebook page at Southern Fry Philosophy. Our website is southernfryphilosophy.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SFP Radio. And also, please go to our YouTube at, at, at YouTube slash or YouTube.com slash SFP Radio. There you go. I'm going to ask you like I ask you every week Mojo, I be darn. Buddy. My biscuits have been burning. Again? Yeah. Again? Yeah. What is it this time, my friend? Uh, School delays. Ooh. <laughs> Jeez. You, I forgot about that. Okay, here we go. Oh. We've, had, we've had, I think, three or four school delays in, in about a, ten, uh, about a seven-day period, and it hasn't snowed an inch here. <laughs> they, they, they called all, or they, they gave a two-hour delay, for the schools uh, because it was too cold to stand at the bus stop. I mean, granted, it was like 18 degrees, but sure. come sure. on. I mean, th- I guess they don't trust the parents to be responsible enough to keep their kids in the house right. until, you know, maybe the bus comes a little closer. Right. Yeah. Hey, like, and then they called, off, they called off school for a three-hour delay the other day because mm. there was a couple icy patches somewhere no. in, in the county. So. Mm. It drives me nuts because you have to delay your whole day. Sure. It ruins and, yeah, the I whole mean, day. Yeah. So it's just, that, it's been driving me nuts the last couple of weeks. I, <laughs> it, but hey, let's, let's, build a three hour delay. Let's have the kids and we'll have them in for two hours and then send them home. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah. That makes no sense. It's all about no school funding. Sense. It's all about school funding. Yeah. They get don't, those, yeah, they don't lose their snow days or whatever. So, well, I think probably the thing is they don't want to let the Pop Tarts spoil. In the mornings, you know, they give yeah. the kids the pop tarts. I be honest with you, I don't think any institutional prison food they see they serve will ever spoil. That's <laughs> <laughs> just no, rank, dude. I did substitute teaching for maybe like a week, oh. and I was shocked at just they give them breakfast, lunch, and pack them a meal and send it home. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't know when don't that started, it. and of course, I as my libertarian self, I'm not for that just because <laughs> sure. just because I I don't believe in that, but. Um. Yeah, it's, it's it is nuts. I mean, cause yeah. especially certain school districts do mm-hmm. it, do it even more. Like I said, ours doesn't. You know, it's just they have, they have some people that are on the early lunch program. Sure, everybody gets lunch. You yeah. know, people have paid. People get you know some free and subsidized. But there's some districts out there, like you said, they'll actually send them food home. Yeah. Also, which yeah. I will say that I did enjoy in the mornings when they did serve the breakfast. I mean, they were like giving these kids like egos and all that kind of stuff. But I did uh, steal occasional 
chocolate milk because I did. I did like the <laughs> nothing like milk nothing like a school chocolate milk in the old <laughs> wax paper carton. You're right. So. No, they had it in a bag. In a bag. In a little plastic bag, you had to shove <laughs> shove like a, that like a Capri Sun. No, it was worse than that. It was it was like a a breast implant, if you will. Oh wow! And you had to shove the straw through the bag. But man, I tell you, there's been, there were a couple times where I got close to going there's, to the other side. There's no phallic imagery there or anything like that. Oh, or yeah. Sexual innuendos. Yeah. Wow. Careful. Yeah, so it was just yeah, it was in a bag. You ne- you didn't have the bag even in high school. I had the bag. I never heard of a bag. Okay. Really? I am sorry. Huh? What 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 Podunk County of the world are you from? <laughs> it's from Florida. <laughs> Florida, of course, Florida. Florida. Meanwhile, in Florida, <laughs> <laughs> people are getting served milk in a bag. Well, let us know if you have had milk yeah, that'd in be, a bag. That'd be interesting. That'd be, yeah. yeah, no doubt. I, I, that is so many so many bad thoughts coming to my mind like that, like chocolate milk. I mean. Jeez, in a in a bag. In I a just, bag. I know they sometimes they do that in Asian countries, you know, with juices <laughs> and stuff. But here in America, we can't even afford to put it in a carton. carton. Okay. Yeah, wow. But you have to admit, though, when you had the plastic carton, though, and you open it up, when you took the, a drink and you sniffed, it had that foul smell to it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't like that, but so I kind of prefer the bag. Hmm. I don't like the stabbing part of the bag, but I like because yeah, that could go wrong in so many ways. Because <laughs> yeah. so many. And it did go. You're waiting to talk to the cute little girl with the water fountain, and all of a sudden you're wearing. Yo, girl, you want some milk? Oh crap! Yeah, run your whole run your whole outfit. Run it, run it good. So how you be doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I tell you what, our like little um, blue Jesus uh, car keeps coming back to life. (laughs) If you guys don't know, we've got a. I don't know if I talked about on the show, but we've got a 2001 Honda Civic, and that sucker will not die. We have tried to kill it numerous times. But um, hey, buddy, I thought I thought she was dead. No, uh, our friends at uh, Charlie's Auto Mechanic on uh, in Concord, boy, they they brought that sucker back to life. I I'm trying to get a new car and I can't. I can't. <laughs> My wife ruined uh, ruined the last one, um, and she got a new car. Maybe I should just throw this thing off a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. I, I know a guy. I, I know, you know a, guy a guy who, who knows a guy who, who can arrange. Yeah. Golly, I tell you, I mean, I, I I'm thankful for no car payment. But that sucker, I don't know how many more legs she's got. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't burn my biscuit. I'm I'm thankful for that. But mm. one thing I, I do want to talk about, being good Southern boys that we are, how about that Alabama-UGA game? How about it? Yeah. I, and, of course, Alabama is like the, the New England Patriots of the, yeah, you know, the college you're world. Right. So uh, I, I didn't – personally, I didn't watch the game because I – Yeah, I, I could have cared less about the two teams. But, Seriously. Um, I, I've got to see all my – Alabama friends on the Facebooks, you know, mm-hmm. celebrating another championship. <laughs> uh, then, of course, my Georgia Dog fan mm-hmm. friends on the Facebooks were, yeah. oh, the worst refs are playing for Alabama, you know, so you got to, <laughs> got to see all that typical, you know, stuff that sure. you see. So. Sure. That you don't do. But I know that, but I did check the score yeah. right before I went to bed, like at midnight or yeah. something like that. It was like, a, it was tied up going into overtime. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if you watched on ESPN. But I didn't. Congratulations. I, try, I tried to, but then ESPN got political before I could get to the Alabama score. So I'm like, screw this. <laughs> I, I turned it over to the Food Network. <laughs> there you go. Well, congratulations to old Alabama. I was pulling for UG, UGA. <laughs> I was pulling for you, UGA. Boy, that's hard to say. But anyway. Ugga. Yeah. So I was, I was trying. Well, we're going to, uh, to go into some uh, wacky news. Every time I look around, it's in my face. 
I don't know if you have seen this or not, but it is something that I probably could use. With an ingestible pill, you can now track fart development in real time on your phone. Boy, I, my insurance company <laughs> would get their money's worth on that. Scientists often hope to break ground with new research, but a group of Australian researchers, researchers would likely be happy with breaking wind. A team developed an undi- ingestible sorry, electronic capsule to monitor gas levels on the human gut. When paired with a pocket-sized receiver and a mobile phone app, the pill reports tailwind conditions in real time as it passes through the stomach and the colon. Uh, how would you like that? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. No? Because, uh, I mean, I know how many times I fart. I don't need a, <laughs> I don't need an app on my phone to tell me how many times I fart. So. You're right about that. I mean, the only thing, I, I mean, I could tell you right now, like, if I go to the Mexican restaurant, hey, buddy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't, I don't need a pill for that. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure it's probably great for someone who has some condition, but mm-hmm. I think I'm okay for now. You think so? Yeah. Um, what, what do you – I found out this week – well, not I didn't find out this week, but my wife started getting the lactose-free milk. Oh. And when I drink that, it's much less irritable on okay. my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I get gas drinking milk. I didn't uh, realize how bad that was. Yeah, it, it affects. Good God, affects. that's real. Yep. I'm sure our listeners out there can relate. Yeah. <laughs> so. mm. But anyway, the, the lactose-free milk isn't bad. It's like one of the, the fair something. Oh, fair. Yeah, I got you. Hey, buddy. I can't remember the name of it. That ain't, ain't bad some, ba- some bad milk right there. I'll tell you that right now. But it's got to be better than the original, like, you know, lactose-free. like lactate in the first place. Oh, yeah, no. That stuff was like no. ch- drinking chalk or something No, like this that. stuff is like thick, like almost hey. like whole milk. Hey. Pretty legit. It's just made out of plastic, but that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> There's been worse in my stomach that right now. I don't know if you saw this or not, but um, I found this one kind of hilarious. A woman returns dead Christmas tree to Costco in January <laughs> for a full <laughs> refund. <laughs> uh, while the rest of us were debating where to abandon our trees, one woman decided to take, take hers back for a refund. So come January, this woman reportedly wanted her money back for her once lively Christmas tree because it's uh-huh. now dead. Um, customers at the Costco in the suburbs of L.A., we're blown away. Uh, a man couldn't help himself and posted on Facebook. Um, I can't make this stuff up. He wrote a woman in line at Costco, <laughs> totally nonchalantly, uh, to return her Christmas tree because it was dead on January 4th. And Costco actually issued no. a refund. No, they didn't. Zero shame for this lady. Hey, Zero shame. Hey, buddy. I don't know. I kind of, kind of got to applaud her for that one. Yeah, but come on. That's... That's the height of just <laughs> idiot. That's idiocracy. I mean, I, I know. I mean, how cheap are you? Yeah, you know no, what I'm I saying. Like, I mean, how much do you think that's going to run you? If I was Costco, instead of getting a refund, I give her. I'd take a picture, give mm-hmm. her a contract, and give her a free, uh, you know, artificial tree, and just say, you know, get the heck out. Mm. So I mean, there you go. I don't, it's probably forty bucks. But still, you know, yeah. everybody did that. Now they know they can do that. Oh yeah, hey buddy, it would totally corrupt the Christmas they go, tree Costco. industry. Go Costco. Yeah. <laughs> Run for it, weren't it for everybody else. <laughs> um, I was uh, tipped off by our friend Sketch, uh, who was here uh, last year, about this YouTube video um, from a uh, Red House Furniture here in High Point, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, um, they've got a YouTube video that's got 6.2 million views, by the oh, way. Wow. How about you? Um, so I'm going to play that for you <laughs> just because it's, it's some funny stuff. So here, here's the video. Just get along at the Red House Furniture. We, we can. At the Red House. 
I'm Richard, a.k.a. Big Head. I work at the Red House, and I'm black. I like pumping iron and pumping furniture into people's homes. Because <laughs> I'm black. I'm Johnny, a.k.a. T-Engage. I work at the Red House, and I'm white. I like deer hunting, bass fishing, and extending credit to all people. <laughs> at the Red House. I'm black and I love the Red House. I'm white and I love the Red House. <laughs> I'm a black woman and I love the Red House. I am white and the Red House is for me. <laughs> and I just learned red to read. House. <laughs> oh, this is classic, by the way. Love the music. Yep. Look at the sofa. It's perfect for a black person or a white person. This mattress is perfect for a white person. Or a black person. <laughs> At the Red House, where black people and white people buy furniture. And expanding people, too. And all people. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. The next time I got to buy furniture, I legitimately may go to uh, to Red House Furniture. Yeah, that was actually a video I think made a couple years, by, years ago by the... Uh, Former YouTube sensations, or actually current YouTube sensations and uh, social media stars, Rhett and Link. Actually, they're from oh. they're from the North Carolina area. Um, they also have a couple of great videos, like uh, "This Is Barbecue." I don't know if you heard of that one. <laughs> no. That's one of my favorites. Actually, it's actually pretty cool. It actually, it's educational. Too, okay, so, yeah. gotcha. I, I bet you would enjoy that one. Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right, so um, so that's some of our wacky news. We do have a couple other uh, videos that are stories that we want to bring to you. So. We're going to um, This Is Your America. Do you know the, uh, the 10 most dangerous jobs in America in 2016? Podcasters probably not one. <laughs> that is not on the list. The top ten uh, most dangerous in 2016. We we got all the numbers in. We've compiled all the numbers. But late, um, late, the ladies and gentlemen at the home office, <laughs> they have now presented us the the ten, and it's it's a little surprising. Number ten, uh, ground maintenance workers. Um, like ground maintenance workers. Ground maintenance workers. Only. only well, I guess that's a little different. I was thinking of greenskeepers. <laughs> I can see that being dangerous. Stinking gophers. Yeah. Uh, the 17.4 people have died uh, on that. Um, number nine, first-line supervisors of construction, trades, and extraction workers. I have no idea what all that means other than, uh, you know, you're dealing with construction. You said extraction? Uh, yeah. Construction, trades, and extraction workers. Hmm. Maybe people are, like, going after people. Possibly. Ah, okay. I don't know. Um, number eight, uh, farmers, ranchers, and other agricultural managers. Uh, 23.1 of farmers, ranchers, or other agricultural managers have passed away this year. <clears throat> number seven, uh, truck and sales drivers. 24.7 people have passed away on that one. Number six, iron and steel workers. I could see. Like, this is starting to get progressively, like, more mm-hmm. and more dangerous, I can tell. Uh, 25.1. Here's what kind of throws me. Number five, trash and recycling collectors. 34 people have died this year for picking up trash. That one threw me. Hmm. Cars, 
shooting? I mean, what? I, I don't know. But but I get thought squashed by the compressor. I, I thought the hand kind of you know, a little robot. Well, we got we have it here, yeah, the thing, automatic. But there's mm. a lot. Of, there's still a lot of local areas that just have the old you know have the have manual to go pick yeah. it up. Yeah, um, thirty four people. Uh, roofers I thought would probably be a little bit higher. Forty eight point six people have died. That's been number four. Number three, aircraft pilots and flight engineers. Fifty five people have died. Really. And no clue. Hmm. Here's where, like, two and one kind of makes sense. Uh, fishers and related fishing workers. So I guess, like, yeah. the deadliest catch and, and all that. Any idea on number one? Any thoughts on what it could be? Strippers. Close. Uh, logging workers. No. <laughs> <laughs> they both deal with wood. <laughs> <laughs> 135 people have died in logging I, I could see that, man. Oh, yeah. Just the conditions, the weather, and also yeah. the equipment, too. Yeah. So. I mean, you just think about, like, A&E. They have, like, you know, Axemen, yep. which kind of makes sense. And then Fisher and then Wicked Tuna or The Deadliest Catch. Like, yeah. those are those yeah. are some legit hard, hard things. Yeah, wow. podcasters are not anywhere on the list. You'd think a soldier would be up there. Yeah, you, you know, or oh yeah, or about how about, about or about officers? You know, like policemen. Oh yeah. I think there's been over 100 casualties and officers this past year. So, but well, anyway. why didn't they make the list? Maybe they list them in or civil servants or something like that. I guess maybe I, I don't I don't know. But that doesn't make sense because those yeah. are both careers. I mean, there are career yeah. soldiers. No, well, this list is crap. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have on there like uh, media journalist or Hollywood actress actor. Yeah. Because that you know that's clearly yeah. a bad thing. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So I'm I'm I, I was tweeting or not tweeting. I was messaging back and forth today, and uh, the Seattle soda tax or sin tax experiment, quote unquote, unquote. Have you mm-hmm. have you read much about this? Basically, from what I understand, is you if you buy soda or anything that's um, fattening or bad for you, you get taxed extra on it. Yeah. June last year, uh, Seattle City Council passed a dollar seventy five per ounce. Good night. Yeah. I didn't realize uh, it was that tax much. hit. So, um, for example, if somebody wants to buy a uh, Gatorade variety pack at Costco or BJ's or Sam's, um, for the normally would cost with fifteen ninety nine. The price is now twenty six thirty three. Holy cow! So Gatorade's good for you. Seattle and Portland, as much as I love the areas, mm-hmm. are just Y'all. nuts. Come Y'all. on! I mean, of course. I mean, what what can you expect? They, they're the ones that had the highest you know, minimum wages in the area, and of course, mm-hmm. they had the most closures of restaurants. <laughs> uh, not only did uh, not only did this tax ruin the sodas, but also subways in the area have announced that they will not be doing the five dollar foot long special. No, what what? Yeah, now now I'm involved. Now, yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they can't afford to do it just because of the minimum wage and the tax and stuff sure. like that. They can't afford to do it. So uh, this special nationwide franchise thing with subways, so they've uh, they've wow. had to opt out, but. Yeah, so this is uh, this is your government at work, obviously thinking they can um, uh, change the uh, the uh, diabetes problem or obesity problem with mm-hmm. sugar uh, through taxing through it. Well, so uh, I'm sure do, that's do they not? Do they not? The Seattle, the city of Seattle, not uh, think ahead and say, you know what? Maybe people can go outside the city limits, right, and buy at Costco. But and then but then you got to think like, okay, so your biggins. Mm-hmm. Your uh, Ada Moon Pie ladies or mm-hmm. your Fat Five Fat guys, mm-hmm. uh, they are they're going to be poor because they and then they can't afford the fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. Yeah, the they food need, deserts. Yeah, that, that they need to uh, to get healthy again. <laughs> right. So you're just screwing them. 
it's congratulations, it's a Seattle. I mean, but not only this, I guarantee. I know this, this will sound funny, mm-hmm. but I guarantee this will open up a black market for sodas. You Th- think there'll so? be people buying it out, <laughs> bringing it in, and selling it for half. I, I like cigarettes, the old tax stamps. I mean, it still happens in New York. I mean, yeah. people, you know, it, up in New York, people will go to the uh, tribal lands, the casino areas, and they'll buy cigarettes, take them, yeah. up, take them up back to the city, and sell them for half price. I mean, hey, buddy. So, yep, that's where we're at now. Mm. A uh, appeal was denied ICE to move forward with a deportation of a paraplegic boy's caregiver. Uh, in Cincinnati, uh, federal immigration officials said that they will proceed with a deportation of an Ohio man who is the sole provider and trained medical caregiver of a six-year-old paraplegic boy. Yo Carlos Mendez, of 20, uh, 27, of Springdale, has lived with the boy's mother, Sandra Mendoza, since 2014 and has become the only father that Ricky has known. Uh, his birth father is no longer in Ricky's life. That's a shocker. Um, when ICE was told of his decision, of their decision, Mendoza says, I can't believe this. Why is this happening? Um, basically, he, didn't, he violated his uh, visa waiver and uh, exceeded it after it, it being expired for two years. And then so the immigration said, we are going to... Uh, take send you back, and he's the only uh, person that has, I guess, health insurance that is uh, caring for this little paraplegic boy. Hmm. So I don't know if you saw that. I did that article. Any any thoughts? Uh, um, well, on that one. I think first we have to back off and punt because because uh, the story is being spun. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that this is uh, an Obama, a, a Trump administration problem, or right. Trump administrations um, has basically these. Uh, Stasi going out and collecting people and throwing them in gulags sure. and sending yep. them back. Yep. That's not actually the case. Not happening. Um, in fact, uh, if you look at the stats, uh, just in case, just in case anybody's out there is listening, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Obama actually donated or not donated. I'm sorry. Over the course of eight years, he actually deported three million between three million people. Mm-hmm. So didn't hear about that. Though, yeah, we we didn't hear much about that. Um, actually, uh, under Trump right now. Uh, going against his pledge to his platform and to, to the Trumpkins mm-hmm. that um, he's actually only uh, escorted out of this country about 34,000 people. Wow. So he's falling far below the pace of, <laughs> right. of uh, how what uh, what Obama did. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I just kind of want to mm. throw a few stats out there because I know uh, people uh, – yeah, you know how people they don't do any reading. Sure, and um, if if you're on the conservative side, then you know if you're a Trumpkin who wants to defend Trump, mm-hmm. obviously you can you can spout that. Um, I just like to look at things objectively. Um, personally, you know I think it's horrible. But number number one, we we do have to have some semblance of law here. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if I was to break that law or break a law, what I'd be kicked out. Sure. I mean, it, it, no matter what sob story I, I would spin, I'd still be gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, um, there's really nothing I can do. This is just people putting a media spin on it. Exactly. There's a real face. There's a yeah. real face attached to yeah. it, and my heart goes out to the little kid because yeah. this is his father by you know, uh, yeah. intense purposes and but legally, it, he's a common law yeah. spouse. Yeah. So I, I feel for that. Um, unfortunately. It, he probably could have headed this off. I'm sure he's had notices. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that he's had opportunity to marry the mother for, yep. you know, if the mother is a legal resident. Yeah, there's been opportunities there to sure. become a legal resident. Yeah. Um, it's just like, you know, give you an example, just small world. If you don't pay your property tax on your car yep. or your house, mm-hmm. they will come take it. They will. They don't care if there's an elderly person that's hooked up to a monitor in there. They're going to come take that. They're not yep. going 
it don't matter if you put it on the news or not. I mean, granted, hopefully some nice soul would come pay that tax for that person. Right. But that's not going to stop the, the government from taking it. So I, I, I feel for this family. Hopefully yeah. there's a resolution that can be sure. found. Um, but this isn't the story that USA yeah. Today, USA Today, and some other other sites have come to make it be. This yeah. is this is this is heartbreaking. But you got to look at it. We're we're a nation of almost 340 million people. Yeah. We can't allow a few thousand million, whatever who who, how, whatever the numbers are, just yeah. break the laws willy nilly just because it's going to tug on our heartstrings. Yeah. If that's the case, then I actually need my tax money too to pay my bills. <laughs> what if I don't? What if I don't pay my income taxes? Yeah. So. Um, that's just my personal. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that piece. I think that the word illegal alien kind of has the word illegal in it. Um, I, I do think there needs to be a complete overhaul to make it faster, cheaper, uh, the ability to come over to the country a whole lot better. But uh, it, for right now, it is what it is, and we've got to figure out a way that, that this works for everybody. So. Yeah, there, there's there's obviously more ways than one to path to citizenship or a worker visa state mm-hmm. program or yeah. a work to citizenship. There's there's all there's a multitude of paths. Um, we just need to get our our people that we elect to represent us need to get their heads out of the rear ends and actually get some work done. Yeah. Um, back yeah. in uh, back in what, September or, or August, I can't remember. I got to go back and look, but. Um, I kind of predicted what was going to happen with DACA. You know, everybody mm-hmm. was, you know, yep. the, the, the social media uh, atomic bomb of the day was DACA <laughs> and how when DACA got, you know, right. um, DACA was going to be rescinded. All these pe- poor people were going to be rounded up by, you know, military <laughs> and sent back. And um, this is, you know, mid- middle of January 2018, and that hasn't happened. There's been no... There's been no uh, mass refugees seeking asylum in churches or places right. of worship. None of that's happened. Right. Um, in fact, today, uh, it kind of looks like Trump may be hedging, uh, <laughs> conceding a little bit on that, and right. actually giving some type of pathway to something here, Yeah. Um, which will pretty much alienate his base. Um, and this actually just live in from the White House. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but by the way, I, and I and I don't you know for the people that maybe getting listening and maybe getting upset, I I I try to view this as objectively. Um, I didn't vote for Trump. I do support him as a president. I do like some of his policies, and some mm. I don't. But here's here's the problem I think with where liberals will absolutely lose their, their ever living <laughs> mind is that they cannot divorce themselves from the man, yeah, and the position of the, of the office, yeah. And, and conservatives were just as guilty exactly. with that with Obama, yep. and his his. Yep. Thing. You can dislike the man, yep. But you can also divorce yourself from that in the position. But you can also look at each and individual policy that yeah. these guys and future women will actually lay down. You can actually say, "Y'all like, don't like." Yeah, D- that doesn't dismiss. I think for so. me, I I would love hanging out with Barack. I'd go grab a beer with him any day. I, I don't know because I don't I don't know if my white privilege would be covered. Oh, uh, here we so, go. Yeah. But but <laughs> but, I, but you know I would hang out with him. I don't sure. like his policies, sure. but I think he's a great guy. Sure, sure, we'd, we'd go hang out. Yeah. Um, but Trump probably wouldn't hang out, but I kind of like his policies. Yeah. So there you go. I don't I don't think your ego. I don't think there's enough room in the ego uh, in no the room way. with his ego inside of it. So. If I could just get him one time to tweet Southern Fried philosophy. Oh, uh, that would be that'd magical. We would just be quitting our job. We'll probably get him to say it pretty quick. <laughs> it would take him a month to figure yeah. out how to say it right. Oh, 
All right, so we're going to go into a segment called Mojo Reads, where Mojo has read a book, and um, I absolutely have not read a book, so he's going to talk to us about that. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. A reading rainbow. A reading rainbow. A reading rainbow. Yeah, the, uh, what was the name of the guy who actually hosted the show? Burn something? Or? I have no idea. No, yeah, I just remember from Star Trek. Yes, he yeah. was a Star Trek guy. Yeah. What happened to his eyes? That's what I wanted. <laughs> exactly. He read too much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, a buddy of mine, listener to the show, Mark Mills. Mark, uh, yeah, uh, Mark. If you listen, I'm uh, sorry you had to move. No, he moved buddy. back. He moved back to South Carolina. So mm. uh, anyway, Mark told me. Uh, Mark knows where I'm from. I'm from Anderson, South Carolina, Anderson mm-hmm. County, South Carolina, and um, I love history. And mm. I, I love Southern history, not just because of its racist roots, or whatever. I just love it because my mm. family, you know, as soon as they hopped off the potato boat from Ireland, this uh-huh. is where they settled. So I'm fascinated by history as a sure. culture and food and booze and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he, he turned me on to a book called The Emancipation of Robert, Robert Sadler. Okay. Yeah, so w- with the title, what do you think that probably means? Um, probably a guy named Robert Sadler that got emancipated. Yeah. If I had to throw, if I had to wildly guess, wildly guess, that's what well, it would probably. You, be. you you hit it on the nose. Oh my so. gosh! You can judge a book by its cover. Exactly. This one literally. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, emancipation and you know, the Emancipation Proclamation took place. Um, Civil War, blah mm-hmm. blah blah. So we we all know about that from from history. But the thing about this, uh, his he was emancipated from slavery in the early 1920s. Wow. So talking huh. talk about a very bone-chilling book, mm-hmm. uh, this book was actually raw, very gritty, because this mm-hmm. was basically a lot of his words, a lady basically just you know rode around with him getting a story. Mm-hmm. And um, this was a very well-learned man. Mm-hmm. He was a very uh, learned man. man. Uh, he, he picked up reading late. You know, mm-hmm. his vocabulary wasn't probably you know proper and, mm-hmm. and whatever, but uh, he had a pretty great life after but basically what happened when he was five years old and i'll, I'll spoil the book for people it's a great book so spoiler alerts but um he was five years old his he came from a pretty large family mm-hmm. and um uh, his mother passed away and they were like sharecroppers mm-hmm. and mother passed away and then mm-hmm. basically his dad was an alcoholic sold him into slavery wow yeah, sold him to another farm uh, another plantation i actually know where the plantation is i grew up probably about five minutes from it really um, actually sold him to that that plantation, and not only was, not only was he sold once, he was actually sold again because he ran away. Um, or actually, the the plantation owner actually brought him back to his dad because he wouldn't mind. <laughs> but he actually sold him to a second wow. uh, plantation. So this this kid worked from age five um, mm. until about sixteen years old on a plantation, hard slave work. Um, the, and he wasn't the only one. These, sure. they, they probably had close to a hundred, maybe two hundred, wow. according his his you know recollection. Um, but nothing had changed in the in, in that period of time, and you know it's it's, it's gut wrenching, it's embarrassing because mm-hmm. you know mm. you like to think you like to think when the war is over, the war is over. Yeah, you know, there's no carryover, there's no spillover. Just like right. with World War II, they announced a defeat, you know, everybody the, victory. Everybody stopped. Not true. You know, actually, in history of in Germany, there was actually a rogue group of soldiers called the Wolverines that would go around sniping American soldiers trying to reconstruct. Europe. So these things carry over. And I I just never realized that in the South. I'm 40, almost 41 years old now. 
Not realizing about my hometown, actually, slavery still existed mm. up until the 20s. And, of course, slavery still exists today. Yeah. But um, in my own stomping grounds, I mean, granted, I wasn't born in the 1920s. But, it's <laughs> right. still, but um, Robert Sadler found his way out. He escaped, um, mm. ran away. Uh, fast forward a little bit, but he, he actually becomes a minister and um, had traveled all all over the states. Wow. Got married, you know, hmm. never had kids, but... Uh, he got married. Um, him and his wife had a ministry and just traveled all over the all over the country. So, wow. uh, just an ins- inspiring book. Um, yeah, like this raw, gritty. So, if you're looking for that perfect like English novel, that's not it. <laughs> but it's easy read. I read it in one night. I mean, just, I, I just couldn't put it down because it was it was gut wrenching wow. and heart wrenching. So, um, anyway, that was that was my Mojo's read of the month. Uh, out of uh, five biscuits, what would you give it? Uh, definitely four and a half. The only reason to get that half just because it was hard to read apart just because of the language. Mm. You have to slow down. and, and I'd, have to, I'd have to remember how my aunts and uncles and granny would talk, so then, I would, <laughs> then I'd be caught up. <laughs> so. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, very cool. Um, well, we are going to go to break, and when we come back, we have uh, Chris McGee with Bop Flicks Film. I know you're going to want to stick around for that. Also, just a couple of things for housekeeping. If uh, you would like to actually sit in on an episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, um, just email us at uh, sfpradio at gmail.com, and you can sit in the SFP Smoke and Seats brought to you by Bad Mother Smokers Barbecue. Um, and uh, Or if you want a T-shirt, we will uh, send those out. And we're also creating hats that have our logo on them, little trucker-style hats. So if you want one of those, we'll get a picture up on our website. And uh, you can also email us those as well. Cost for the hats will be $15 or $20. Use promo code BIGGIN, and you get uh, $5 off. And then uh, shirts are still $20. So anyway, uh, give us an email if you are interested in any of that. Uh, Otherwise, we will be right back. You're listening to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Summer is made for grilling and chilling, and you too can be the baddest mother smoker on the block using our favorite award-winning smoking sauce. Bad Mother Smokers is perfect match for that favorite meat, veggies, or even that secret ingredient in a pot of chili. Check out BadMotherSmokers.com to place your order, and if you want to be a barbecue pit master like Mojo, enter the promo code MOJO for 10% off your order. Visit BadMotherSmokers.com or the sponsor section of our website at SouthernFriedPhilosophy.com. All right, we are back. You're listening to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. And with us this week, we have got Chris McGee from Bop Thick. Flicks film. That's easy to say. Uh, here we go. So here's the interview. All right. Welcome to the show, Chris. I appreciate you coming on. I know we communicated last year in 2017 about getting you on the show. Uh, for our listeners, um, I, I've made it no secret that I'm a huge fan of uh, 50s and 60s music from doo wop to uh, soul to uh, rockabilly, especially now, is what I kind of like. And I like the revival. So I came across on Facebook and Instagram um, this gentleman out of the UK doing these awesome videos of just these younger guys and gals doing 
uh, Rockabilly Revival, and I was inspired to contact him. So here we have him on. So Chris McGee, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, so let's get down to the nitty gritty here. Um, I I find this interesting because my my father uh, was a uh, father grew my father grew up in the fifties and sixties childhood. So um, I got to hear of all these grand stories of the sock cops and the you know the fifty six and fifty seven. Uh, Chevy Bel Airs and the mm. and the you know just the, the having fun and good music and he always told me anything after 1970 the music was crap <laughs> so, <laughs> so I I didn't realize that rockabilly was worldwide like this I mean you've exposed me to some bands that are just <laughs> crazy so how did you how did you fall in love with this music and you know decide to start filming these awesome videos um well yeah i mean it's i mean there is uh, it's a very strange thing the um i mean obviously it did start in america in the in the mid early 50s uh, rockabilly music and then sort of turning into rock and roll um and I, I i think back in the 50s rockabilly didn't really didn't really come to mm-hmm. Europe or England. I mean, it, it came over here more in the form of rock and roll, really. Um, and we kind of probably got a little, a little bit of the rockabilly, but it was kind of already, it was already, it had already moved into rock and roll by the time it got here. So, um, I think the first time round, uh, we didn't, we we kind of missed the rockabilly thing, and um, yeah. it, it kind of happened so quickly, and we kind of sort of jumped on the, the rock and roll bandwagon, um, and then it kind of moved off, obviously, into the sixties and. And, and sort of beat and everything happened and the Beatles and all that. Um, but I think it was almost like we didn't quite get it, it, it. We didn't really get a chance to really do it properly. So um, it got it got into the 70s and the late 70s in particular. And there was a big there was a very big rock and roll 1950s rock and roll revival that happened in Europe and predominantly in England as well. There was a massive, massive rock and roll Teddy Boy um, music scene that kind of that, that, that came up and it was a mixture of original people um, that had maybe started in the 50s and, and some in the 60s that were kind of sort of still kind of going out and wanting to go out and listen to old music oh, wow. um, and then and then a, then a new younger generation it was suddenly suddenly kind of picking up these old records and finding these old records and um, suddenly discovering it and, and this is the point that rockabilly started to properly come over to the UK because by this time in America rockabilly had sort of been forgotten um or you know it was in it was it it was in the vault vaults and all of these curious british um music lovers were coming over to america and sort of sourcing out all this sort of rare obscure you know um small indie label rockabilly and and bringing it back to the uk and and you know and 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 sort of playing it out at clubs and all this kind of stuff so it started really in the late 70s as a as a kind of um as an un- as a very underground movement a sort of subculture alongside punk and everything else that was going on in the late 70s and there was lots of different subcultures at the time this got the skinhead movements as well oh, wow. there was lots yeah. of lots of different lots of different things and it kind of moved on into the 80s and then once you got into the 80s it started to take on a bit of a life of its own i think it started that's when you you you, you started getting um bands like the Polecats and, and obviously the Stray Cats as well, who, mm-hmm. who are from America. So it starts, you start getting the Neo Edge and, and Rockabilly starts to take on its own life in a sort of more modern sense, you know, rather than just everyone listening to the old stuff, people are actually kind of making new bands with a slightly new sound as well. And that really continued through the 80s and into the 90s, but again, on a very underground, underground level. Um, and it 
and and it's kind of continued like that ever since it's just never really died it's just carried on and wow. and as each decade as each decade's gone on it's it's remained a subculture it's remained very underground it's remained a very um small um scene but but it's a scene that kind of that is that's become international that you know it's it spread across europe and 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 kind of and really back to America as well. Um, in the sort of 80s and 90s, it kind of went back to America and then you started getting really fantastic American rockabilly bands, new new American rockabilly bands kind of then coming back over to Britain. So it's kind of bouncing backwards and forwards. Um, and then what you've sort of had over the last sort of 30, 40 years is just like a constant new um, generation of, um, of, uh, of, of uh, rockabilly people coming into... Uh, coming into the um coming into the scene and and the, and the lifestyle yeah um so basically um uh yeah it it um it, it yeah so so it's basically just been bobbing along through the through the decades and um so it's been bobbing along through the decades and it's sort of just picked up new people as each decade's gone along and new bands have come into it new bands have gone out of it and people have just sort of drifted in and out of this this kind of you know this scene and just kept it kept it alive yeah. it's never it's never kind of it's not you know we're not talking enormous numbers but there's enough numbers to keep it kind of keep it kind of going as a sort of subculture and it changes all the time every decade it kind of has its highs and its lows and there's times where it feels like it's kind of maybe on the wane and then all of a sudden a new generation will come in and pick it back up again and maybe reinvent it a little bit and take it forward um but yeah so all over all over europe there is um this whole kind of scene uh, that's going on in you know each country has its own thing going on and, and some some countries almost have their own styles or elements or, or or kind of ways of presenting it if you like um but yeah it's it's all it's uh, it, it's uh, it, that that's the story really it's sort of ongoing and um i personally got into it uh in the 90s as a teenager i wasn't very satisfied or happy with um the music i was listening to at the time uh growing up you know just i just wasn't really digging what was going on everything everybody around me was listening to whatever was in the charts at the time it wasn't really doing it for me um and then um i remember i was going through i was going through my dad's old records actually oh wow that's and, cool uh, yeah and, and he i mean he was he was a kid in the 50s he wasn't a teenager in the 50s he was a kid in the 50s but he kind of he still kind of was exposed to the music in britain you know the rock and roll music and some of the american artists like buddy holly um so into the 60s he kind of got more into the beatles and the rolling stones and stuff like that but he did like some of the older slightly older music uh, that he probably heard when he was a kid so he had a few he had a few records in his collection um rock and roll records buddy holly things like that so when i started so as a teenager I was, I was going through some of his records and i found some of these old buddy holly records and i put those on and that was for me the that was the the, the starting point buddy holly so um i listened to a lot of buddy holly and uh i thought it was absolutely fantastic but i didn't know that there was um other people listening to this music i didn't know that there was a scene at all i was completely unaware a little bit like you you, you know yourself with you know rockabilly in outside of america i didn't know there was anything going on i thought it was just a an old music form and it was sort of long gone you know i'd missed the boat if you like um so but i carried on listening to it and um and and just try to try to find out more and more about it and try to find other related artists and stuff like that and then just by chance one day i got chatting to somebody who was working he was working someone's working 
at my college, they it turned out that they were in. We got talking and we started talking about music, and it turned out that they they were into this music as well. And they started telling me about the fact that there was all these clubs going on, and there was all this scene that had been going on since the seventies, and all this kind of stuff. And to me, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was like, really? I've never heard of any of this, you know. And this was just sort of before the internet as well. So, you know, it was very hard to know about stuff unless you found it yourself or sure. you people that want to it. It's not like now. I mean, now it's become a lot easier, uh, which is why I think it's actually doing quite well now because it's much easier to find and there's a, there's a big resurgence that's happened through through the through the internet. So people can, right. you know, yeah. if they get an inkling for rockabilly or roots music, or they can, you know, go onto Google and instantly find out that there's this big world out there. But back then in the 90s, there was, there was nothing really. So unless you knew somebody that was going out to this, to these clubs, knew where these clubs were you sort of just didn't know it was happening it was a it was a bit of a mystery you know so i was i was very fortunate very lucky to to bump into someone or meet someone that was was also into this music and i sort of said you know i've, I've loved this stuff but i didn't didn't know there was all this all this um uh, this this whole kind of lifestyle going on so um i think around 16 17 i started going to my first clubs and um in London, and uh, it just—that was it. It just opened up a whole world. I couldn't—I couldn't believe it. There was just—I suddenly discovered all these bands, all these people, people who'd been some people who'd been doing it for decades, some people had only been doing it for as long as me. You know, they just sort of joined it. You know, I, and then I started going to festivals, and it grew from there. So over the years, um, I—I've uh, carried on. You know, pursuing that. I've been into been into that scene um for, for since since the late 90s so it's now like oh, yeah. well, just over oh yeah probably just over 20 years now it was about two yeah it would have been about 96 and like that so and um as the years went on i was in my personal life i was also pursuing a, um my interests in film and stuff like that i was working in tv but not i wasn't actually i wasn't in, in on the on the production side i was more just like a kind of I was more like on the sidelines in TV. I was kind of like in the admin side, but I was like kind of thinking, this is where I think I want to go. This is the direction I think I want to go. I want to go into production. So, but what I did is I I I I started buying cameras and making my own videos and making yeah, my own films. That's cool. um, so I would go out and just start filming the things that I was interested in, which was bands, and um, I'll take them to clubs and start filming rock and roll bands, rockabilly bands. And this was in sort of mid two thousands, I guess. And it kind of really, that's really where this whole thing started. So it just started with me playing around, um, sort of having a bit of a, a taste for um, either music on one side and also an interest in filming and editing and all that. As the, as the, as the years rolled on, um, I started doing it more and more and more. And people started to take notice and then bands started to say to me, to say, hey, you know, can, is there any chance you can come and film us? Can you do a little video for us? We need a little video to put online. And then this is the sort of time that YouTube started to appear and social media and MySpace and all this kind of stuff. Something there was a platform to, where you could, you could then actually present and, and put this stuff online. You know, before that, in the early 2019, there was nothing. You couldn't, you couldn't, right. I mean, there was the internet, but there wasn't really platforms where you could showcase stuff. So all of a sudden there was um, an opportunity for me to, to, to um, film stuff and, and put it out there and, and sort of help to kind of raise awareness and to kind of allow people to share and, and, and uh, find this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and that's really just, and that's, that was sort of like 2008, 2009. So it's been about 10 years. And around that time, I then, it started to get popular enough that I was able to uh, finish my, quit my day job and pursue it as a, um, 
as a as a proper job. So um, and so that's what I've been doing since. Um, so the last ten years, I've been building it up. I've been working with lots of bands, lots of uh, doing lots of different projects like documentaries, promos, music videos, and then it's grown and grown and grown and grown. And then and then recently, in the last couple of years, year to two years, I've been really pushing this session series, which I think is what you've um, found. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, which has given me a chance to work with a really high volume of bands because it, because it, it's, a, it's a sort of format and a formula which is quite simple, but it but it's quite effective I think because it's got a it's got kind of a sort of production value to it, but 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 at the same time it it's it's very quick to do you know because it's all done in one take, very little editing, so it enables me to go out there and just film lots and lots and lots and lots of bands and sort of have a high um, output if you like so. You mentioned MySpace earlier. Do you think that that's going to make a comeback, or is it pretty much dead? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, they try. I think it's gone, isn't it? I actually, they, just they sold, to... it just sold again. Actually, did it really? Yeah. How about it? Had right. boys. As you're a British citizen, would you, uh, to our worldwide listeners, would you actually apologize for Coldplay and Ed, she- Ed Sheeran, please? <laughs> I apologise for Coldplay and Ed Sheeran. Um, it's uh, it's a real shame. We're and trying. It's, it's we're, a, we're trying to get a Canadian to apologise for Justin Bieber, but we haven't had one on the show yet. So. Yeah, that, that, that's one the big one. Days. That's the big one. Yeah. So for you, like music, that type of music is is pretty consistent, you know, through the ages. So I guess from the '80s to the '90s hasn't really changed that much. So. Like you kind of see the same thing over and over and over again, maybe with a little bit of a different twist to it. Does that ever get old to you? Like, you know, I think of like a band um, that has to play the same song over again. Yeah, I mean, it. You know, it, 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 the thing is, I mean, it's it's um, it does. Um, there, there's, there's been small reinventions, and there's been people that have tried to do different things with it, and sometimes people are successful with that, and sometimes, you know, maybe it doesn't work. But, but there, but there, there has been some bands that have come along that have, that have innovated, and they've kind of, um, and also record labels as well that have come along oh, that yeah. have tried to um, take on the '50s um, sound and, and try to do some new stuff or freshen it up or just sort of make it sort of fit into mod into into today's music. So rather than it simply being a case of everyone's trying to copy and be like the '50s mm. or you know '50s or '60s or whatever, um, they're actually trying to kind of bring something new to it or fresh to it or make it kind of you know which is kind of something i've been trying to do with some of some of my videos as well like I've, like some especially on the music video side i've tried to um try to get away from some of the cliches because as much as it's great you know it's, it's lovely stuff it, there's there's only so many times you can film a, a video in a diner or a, sure. uh, you know in a, in a barber shop or something like that so i've been trying to kind of like apply more i've been trying to kind of sort of film sort of roots or rockabilly style videos but in a more modern mm. way in a more modern style of film and so just to kind of make it relevant so that it's, it's not just like a museum piece and sure. it's actually um it's actually music that started in the 50s but it's still going and is still uh, still has something to say or is still relevant and still interesting um i mean and me personally i mean i found that you know I think it's healthy to listen to as much music as you can. So I listen to all sorts of music, um, old music, new music. A lot of I listen to a lot of modern indie music as well. And um, I'll have times where I'll go off for for a little while and take a break, and I'll just go mm. and listen to some other stuff. And then I'll come back to it with a bit of a fresh mind. And then you know you can re- you almost rediscover it all over again. You know, and I've done yeah. that number number of times. Um, and sometimes it's you know it's good to do that. And I go away, have yeah. a breather. 
and then all of a sudden I come back round to it. Um, and when I come back round to it, there, there might be um, a load of new bands that have suddenly p- appeared, and there's been some changes, and all of a sudden there's something new to go. Oh, okay, you know, and you suddenly re- rediscover. It's almost like hearing it for the first time. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, what I do personally is um, try to listen to as much as possible, and um, that's another thing with the sessions as well is that I am actually trying not. I don't want the sessions, this, this sort of session series that I'm doing, although it is predominantly there is a lot of rockabilly in there um i don't want it to be a, just a rockabilly s- session series i want sure. it to sort of really be r- roots in general so um you know and, and i want it to sort of kind of go really sort of from 30s 40s all the way up to 60s 70s even sort of hitting sort of punk and and stuff like that as well it's a little bit harder to do that with um when it comes to managing the way the sessions are done with the sound and stuff like that but um yeah i'm constantly trying to i'm trying to push it into different directions and just sort of cover as much as possible and then um because at the end of the day all these genres they're all related in some way they were, there's so much crossover between them mm. and people and you tend to find that although you've got different scenes and people you know like to stick with what maybe maybe they might have a um a particular fancy for one scene or type of music that there's often an appreciation for other types of music that's that was running alongside or you know before or after so you know the people who are watching these sessions they, they might really love the rockabilly stuff but then i'll chuck in something completely different but they'll but they'll also like it you know because it's um, right. they'll just see the connection so yeah yeah, yeah I, I realize that i'm old at this point when my wife turned on like the pop hit the pop thing on the xm top 40 or whatever. T- and i was like this is crap music like this is awful <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, what do you think about yeah. the music d- today i mean well this is why i i went off and listened to old music in the 90s <laughs> right. because it, it just wasn't it wasn't really doing it for me sure. yeah i mean there you know from time to time interesting things come along um there are interesting bands um but you know it's hit and miss i mean in terms right. of i suppose mainstream pop music it's really not interesting at all um there's there's very little that grabs me if you kind of go off the beaten track a bit, there's a lot of in, interesting independent bands or, or you know indie bands, however you want to sort of sort of, you know modern rock and roll bands, I guess. Um, there's there's different things around that, that from time to time take 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 my fancy, and I and I've got a weird I, I like um, I do have some some interesting in kind of sort of weird alternative music like um, um, Saint Vincent and anything that's kind of got like a, a sort of electro pop thing going on. So I've got like a total, so there's a total hollow other avenue that I've got a bit of a guilty pleasure for. Um, but the, um, but yeah, I mean, it's generally, I mean, I think that that's why, that's another reason why people are, there are, there's lots of new young people all across Europe and, and getting into older music, you know, whether it be rockabilly or general roots or, you know, bluegrass. I think it's because a lot of modern music doesn't, just doesn't deliver, you know? Yeah. And we're we're in Concord, North Carolina, which is really close to the Abbott Brothers' home, Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. So, Abbott, I don't, yeah, Abbott, Abbott Brothers. Brothers yeah. Sorry, the Abbott Brothers. So, yeah, 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 yeah. There. Yeah, if you're ever, uh, whenever you get back over to the states, um, uh, ho- hopefully we can connect up. I'll, I'll take you over, introduce you to some. Well, I guess you would call it roots. You know, blue, the original roots of bluegrass. There's there's kind of a revival of that here in the western part yeah. of the state guys playing 20s and 30s music that has been lost but that you know they somehow found recordings i guess the invention mm. of youtube or whatever other avenues but um it's it's kind of it's kind of seeing it's kind of interesting seeing these roots actually starting to be planted again for the for the new generations i'm, I'm which i'm happy for because i 
I'm a firm believer. I think a lot of music after the '90s is crap. <laughs> so, now, yeah. uh, the uh, you mentioned something. Explain to our listeners, Teddy Boy, because I, I know what a Teddy Boy is, but uh, explain that that terminology. Because uh, this is you, a family friendly show. Are we allowed to say <laughs> that? I don't. It's his favorite. I, I <laughs> <Okay>. promise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not, yeah, the, it's not the furries. I, I promise you. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a weird a weird phenomenon. Um, the uh, it's kind of. Um, Oh, well, I mean, it's, it did start in the fifties. Um, there was Teddy Boys in the fifties in Britain, and uh, and I think I think possibly in other parts of the world. I think it did spread to other parts of Europe, but but probably later on, like very late fifties, early sixties, it kind of sort of like spilled over. Um, but I think it was a, I think it was a particularly English thing. I think it was a thing that sort of kind of come out of England in the sort of mid fifties, and it was sort of. Um, it's kind of weird because in in America in the fifties there was a lot of prosperity and um, uh, you, there, it was a time of um, uh, of plenty and there was and there was and so there was all, everything just was super colourful the clothes were amazing and really kind of garish and colourful and you know you think about some of the stuff that Elvis wore in the early days it's just like <laughs> it's like pe- real peacock stuff you know yeah. and um, and you know you think sort of post war it was a real time of optimism and and people just really went crazy and all the cars looked incredible and, and just, just, it was just full of color. Um, but oh, in, like in Britain, yeah, but in Britain it was kind of different. There was, um, like because of the war, um, because of the kind of post-war environment, there wasn't much money about, and there was still rationing, um, all the way up into the fifties. So people didn't really have the same kind of amount of money, over here so hmm. people weren't able to kind of go as crazy when it came to like the way they dressed and stuff so they had to be a little bit more inventive about it and hmm. um, so they started hearing they started hearing rock and roll coming over from america they loved it they thought it was amazing and then they started trying to basically do their their own version of of i guess um you know the way that kids in america were dressing and going out wearing suits and stuff but the way that they did it in britain was they kind of went in a bit of a different way and they sort of took this old it's it's a kind of rebellious gesture, I suppose. But there, but it was the kind of the invention of the teenager, and the teenager would would look to their elders, and in the their elders from the sort of earlier part of the century, the Edwardians would wear um, would wear these kind of very nicely sort of tailored suits with velvet collars and pocket watches and all this kind of stuff. Um, and um, so they kind of took this image that was usually associated with like. Um, sort of high high upper class working gen, you know, gentlemen of, of the early part of the century and they basically turned it into street clothing and, yeah. and, and rock and, and rock and roll music clothing and um so they were a little bit like the punks did in the 70s mm. um you know sort of taking taking clothing and, and just basically turning upside down and um so they they you suddenly had all these working class um you know very poor um kids and teenagers uh suddenly dressing up like like Edwardian flamboyant um, gentlemen, you know, but they were going around <laughs> getting into getting into all sorts of trouble, listening to rock and roll music, and um, you know, um, creating this whole new movement. So that's what Teddy Boy was. It's kind of, um, hmm. I mean, yeah. You know, obviously, look it up on Google, put in Teddy Boy, and you'll see see the various different uh, stages. And it that's kind of went through. It went, yeah. It, it's a very weird movement, and it went through a weird. Um, it went through a number of different changes as it went into the sort of late 50s early 60s it kind of got a little bit commercialized and it kind of went a bit it kind of got a little bit silly for a while people started wearing all sorts of very strange variations of the teddy boy outfit and it all became 
like more and more and more like you know they'll wear all these vel velvet on their collars and then the, and there'll be more velvet and more and, and the colors would start getting really crazy so originally the, the very early teddy boys would just wear mostly kind of black and sort of dark gray suits with it so it was very stylish very very kind of cool um um a little bit understated but then the later teddy boys started to wear more kind of um vibrant colors and it's sort of to the point where they're wearing like pinks and greens and reflescent all sorts of crazy colors and it kind of sort of got a little bit um it, 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 it kind of lost itself a little bit it kind yeah. of sort of it, it sort of yeah. just became a bit silly it became a bit silly really yeah. and then and then obviously music moved on and then, and then it became about the Beatles and, yeah. and Beatlemania and all this kind of stuff and Mersey B and so the Teddy Boy look sort of, sort of kind of went out of fashion came into fashion went out of fashion pretty quickly um but then in the 70s it came back round again and then there, and there was this big new teddy boy movement that happened in the 70s um that was running alongside the punks and weirdly punks used to wear we used to wear the teddy boy clothing but they would they would rip it all up so they'd wear the same yeah. stuff the teddy boys would wear but then they'd rip it all up and have like pins and whatever in it and, and wear it with jeans and you know and so it was kind of they just they sort of like sort of took the took the image and then they sort of moved it on to another level so it kind of, sort of kept on getting moved on and moved on sure. and then sort of in, in more in more recent times in the last sort of 20 years um people who've been interested in the teddy boy movement have sort of tended to go back to the very original teddy boy style so they've gone back to the very early sort of very un, you know uh, sort of black colors and stuff like that um so it's kind of gone through a sort of a process over the decades you think they got that in a three XL? Do they say, "Well, can I get that in a big and tall store?" <laughs> what a big guy! I'm sure, you know, well, a lot of people do that get get their get their Teddy Boy suits tailored. So that's it's always it's always it was always a thing to get it sort of just bespokely tailored. So I'm sure you could. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. I I know you said that you know the the 50s revival, the doo wop, the the uh, rockabilly, the influences into the, the modern music. Just a couple examples for our listeners. I think you know, Amy Winehouse would be a perfect example. Mm. Um, yeah. More of a modern. Um, Lily Allen, I think, when she first came out, mm. or mm-hmm. or Corinne Bailey, whatever her name is. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, but these are just a couple of influences that, you know. And even some more even modern pop stars like Megan Trainer. The only reason I know her name is because I have a teenage girl, um, <laughs> you know, had some kind of influences for that from that period of music. So hmm. anyway, there you go. Yeah, um, it's, it's, there's been some really like Paloma Faith as well as an interesting one too. There's there's a number of really interesting artists that have come along that have certainly tapped into some of that kind of doo wop and sort of soul, you know, sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah, it's fantastic. Some of it. Um, one of the things I I resonated with your story is. You, you kind of had a, a regular day job and then just realized, like, you couldn't do that anymore. So what was it like as you just kind of left that and then just pursued your dream and just kind of, you know, did your thing? Yeah, I mean, well, it was scary because I didn't know whether it was going to – I didn't know whether it was going to work. Um, so I kind of sort of did it with um, – I did it with sort of, I, I spent a long time deciding whether or not to actually do it. Mm. Um, and then when I did, I sort of did it with this sort of – caution that you know maybe this is not going to work and it's going to be a complete disaster and then within two years or a year i'm going to be back Mm. in the office or whatever um and um but no it just it carried on and it's kind of carried on since and since and since and i mean it's been very up and down like you know when you're working for yourself and sort of doing this kind of stuff it's it's never it's not a walk in the park you you have to sort of you really have to keep at it you know and it's um 
there's times where you're not sure whether it's sustainable and all this kind of stuff but if you with the with these kind of things and other people i know who've done something similar pursued similar avenues if you keep at it um eventually you know it, it takes hold and, and that's kind of what's really happened over the last uh, the last few years especially it's kind of taken hold to the point where i feel um that it's it, I'm, I'm confident now that it, it works and I, I've kind of made the right choice, you know, mm. but early, early days, it was, a, it was a big risk, you know, sure. uh, but you've got, got to take risks sometimes. Yeah. Uh, my, just on your, uh, one of your videos, uh, the Firebirds who did a remake or their version of uh, Sandy by Dion and the Belmonts. Mm. Um, my daughter makes me listen to that with her every day now on the, in the school line wow. and she's five years old. So just let know about a thousand of your views are probably us working <laughs> in the car line. So but she's a, she's a big fan of your video. Just <laughs> that's chat. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it just, that just shows how the music is, is timeless. You know, it's, mm. um, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it is a timeless music. You know, it's again, it started in the fifties, but it resonates with people today, you know, and it, it's, um, it's not a thing that was just stuck in time. It, you know, new people can listen to it and gets and feel it like it's they're hearing it for the first time, and it's fresh and modern and relevant and speaks to them or whatever. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's it's good. It's good feeling music too. It's not like you want to go murder yeah. murder your mother in law after you know, after <laughs> listening. What to kind it. of music are you listening to? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a uh, that was a country song, by the way. Uh, gotcha. yes. Chris, I'm hoping that there's like a '90s rap revival because I could totally get on board with that one. <laughs> Like bring bring back some puffy, you know. Will Smith, Will Smith, cool. yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd actually quite like some of that. I do like a bit of that early rap, early hip hop stuff. It's quite uh, cool. I do, I do too. Yeah, so. yeah. Where, uh, where, where in the parts are the these festivals that you've been going to? Where, where, where? What parts are you think are growing faster, or have maybe have a stronger movement, or um, kind of a bigger well, sub subgroup, whatever? What was that? Sorry, uh, you know the places that you've been traveling, some some of these festivals and stuff. Um, what parts of the of Europe or uh, have you seen the biggest revivals? I, I know you had a Japanese. Um, uh, yeah, Japan, so. um, it's. I mean, it, it's kind of everywhere, really. It, um, you it, and it, it kind of it kind of it, it seems to, as I said, like it kind of has these. It's a bit of a roller coaster. So, some for for, for a period of time, there'll be one particular country where it's really. It seems to be really happening. Um, so for like a few years ago, it seemed to, there was like loads of stuff coming out of Sweden, loads of stuff coming out of Sweden. Sweden seemed to be really buzzing, you know. Um, and at the moment, there's lots of stuff coming out of Spain, loads, loads of record labels, loads of bands in Spain. Uh, they've got a really good sort of 60s garage movement as well. Um, it's it's kind of, it's sort of, you know, it, it, it's kind of drifts about, but it's certainly the UK, France, Germany, um, Scandinavia, Spain, Italy, there's stuff all across there you know um you know it, it's it's kind of everywhere and yeah over in uh, japan and australia there's there's quite a big i mean I've, I've not been over there i don't i've not seen it firsthand but i've i've worked with some of the bands that have come over and you know from all accounts there seems to be a very healthy scene going on over there as well lots of festivals and you know its own its own little world that's sort of that's doing its own thing you know and sometimes it mixes and some people from europe go over there and play and stuff so it's um it's you know it's all, it's all talking to each other which is good well um i guess tell us some things you're going to be up to as far as i mean we have we have several listeners in europe so mm-hmm. um in iran too coincidentally i don't i don't know how that happened but uh, the internet. <laughs> but, uh wow, any festivals you're gonna be uh you're gonna be at here soon uh, when you're gonna be stateside if you come over i mean 
kind of give us some updates on what, what your plans are for the future. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm just sort of getting into gear this year and trying to sort of plan out what it is I'm going to be doing. There's lots of the, the session series in particular. I mean, obviously, there's other strands to the work I'm doing, whether it's music videos and documentary stuff. But the sessions, the session series, it's a bit of a tongue twister. It's um, it's sort of the last six months. It's really, it's really kind of um, taken hold, and and I've got lots of people that want to be involved in it. So every single day i'm talking to bands that want to be included and want to be featured so um it's kind of a case of trying to figure out schedule and working out where i'm going to be and where 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 i'm you know some bands are local some bands might just be up the road and i can go meet them or whatever um but some bands could be on the other side of the world so it's a case of um i mean i've actually had a lot of bands from um south america uh, contact me loads of bands from argentina and um brazil absolutely loads um uh, been contacting me wanting to be they so that there's this there's something happening down there there's a big scene that seems to be happening there and they they um they they that you know i've been getting loads of bands wanting to sort of saying you know they want to be on the session series and it's a case of well okay we need to just keep in touch and see when our paths might cross or whatever so um so yeah so i'm uh so the next i'm i'm in spain in about a month's time at a little festival filming a number of bands uh, again it's a kind of rockabilly roots thing um called the rocking race um and then what else i've got um uh, i think i might be possibly going to nashville again in may um nice. so there's that and then yeah there's very there's lots of different festivals all through the year and just really just trying to coordinate and schedule all these different bands that are some of the bands that have come to me but also bands that i've sort of seen and think i really want to have to do a video with those guys you know so um but the great thing is is i keep i I keep discovering new bands from this as well so (laughs) because there's only so many bands you can listen to or or know about and um you know i'm always discovering new stuff and and because of the session series people of are kind of whereas originally i was kind of going to them and sort of saying hey do you want to do you mind if i film you and stuff mm. um, in the last six months it's kind of starting to come back the other way and i'm nice. getting people come to me and sort of saying hey there's some chance you can film us so uh, the great thing about that is i'm now just new but like i'm just discovering new cool bands all the time you know nice. and you, yeah i go to go to someone's page and just be like wow how have i never heard of this band before this is incredible <laughs> so um so yeah so there's, there's loads of really loads of really interesting stuff coming along I've, um all through last i went crazy last year and i just i just filmed as many sessions as i possibly could um at a number of different festivals and you know some sometimes it was just individual meetups and sometimes i was at a festival and just walking around just grabbing whoever i could um so i've got um absolutely loads to go online still from last year so before i've even started filming this year i've already still got um probably another 50 maybe something like that that's got to go up so so yeah so it'll be um it'll be a regular thing for as long as i can keep it up really that's (laughs) that's awesome man congratulations look yeah I'm a small yeah. business owner. We're trying to get big in here. We're trying to get him uh, independent pretty soon. <laughs> and it's just there's nothing like it. You, you wake up, you hate yourself because you're on your own boss because you got to hate yourself. I mean, <laughs> and then uh, you go you know you go to work and hopefully make uh, a few a few bucks or a few quid as you guys say. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. I mean it's just but you're a lot happier. I mean, and yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty cool. You're not sitting in a square room. I guess you're not at least. But um, so anyway. Yeah. I want, I want to pump out your sites real quick just before I forget. Um, uh, for any listeners that want to go check out some of his work and videos, uh, you can go to Facebook 
He's on Facebook at Bop Flicks. That's B-O-P-F-L-I-X. You can also go to Instagram and follow him, uh, the same same Bop Flicks, and also on the YouTubes at Bop Flicks. So, um, also, he has a website, uh, BopFlicks.com, I believe, right? Yep. That's right. Yeah, okay. it's just like a it's like a hub page, if you yeah. like. So if you go to BopFlicks.com, um, I think that's got links to all of those other little sort of sub social media sites yeah um yeah so uh, that's awesome yeah one of the things that i I noticed just when you were saying like all the different countries and stuff just it just popped in my head like how music brings everybody together Mm, yeah so for you it's that you know bringing music um for us it's just food (laughs) we we love to eat yeah okay right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i I like i like eating i'm 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 a fan of eating too yeah um, eating's good I will say the other thing, too, is I just binge-watched a crap ton of Black Mirror, and the accent's <laughs> freaking me out. I'm just trying to hold it together right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of Black Mirror, actually. Right, that's great, so show. Good. great show. So good. Yeah, the, yeah. Guy, the, guy that, the guy that makes that, um, Charlie Brooker, well, he writes it. Um, you know, he started, um, he started here in the uk as a sort of games video games journalist and he was kind of um he just played a lot of video games and mm. he was on i think he was presenting on a few shows in like the 90s and then he kind of um kind of started doing these sort of satirical end of year um programs where he would sort of sum up like a kind of year in review but in a kind mm. of very satirical you know <laughs> comedy black comedy kind of way they were kind of really they were sort of early forms of black mirror if you like Huh. Um, but they were, a lot of them were sort of done like mock news or like sort of emulating sort of news formats, but but done in a kind of silly, comical mm. way. Um, and he would do that for different things. So he would do it, do it for news and current affairs. And then he had another series which was all about video games. And then he had another series which was more about, I think it was, what else? I think it was just like a kind of, I think it was just like general life stuff or something. Mm. Um, and, and, and that kept him growing and he kind of started building up a name for himself. And then... Um, uh, and then I think the big big break came when he did a, a he did a um, a TV drama called Dead Set, um, mm. which is a kind of it's, it's sort of a you know the whole Big Brother thing, mm-hmm, um, the sure. big, uh, big, big Big Brother house, um, you know where they do the people go in and get mm-hmm. voted out and all that kind of stuff. Um, he he did he did like a um, uh, a mock Big Brother season but but what happens is that while the contestants are inside the house um a big zombie apocalypse happens outside the house and, <laughs> i actually have seen this series and have you really? yeah that's awesome yeah it's it's brilliant it's just, i think it's like a six six part series or something exactly. you know it's like it's like a really long episode of black mirror basically huh. um and um you know it's like a, it's like must be about three hours long oh, broken okay. into half an hour shows and um and that was what really put him on the radar when it comes to narratives. And then from then, Black Mirror started, and yeah, that's where we are today. So, awesome. um, and it's kind of gone from being a kind of sort of more of a British thing, really. But now it's now he's sort of become so mm. big, like a lot of his stories are set in America and all over the place. So, yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah, I understand. I mean, we're holding out for a Netflix gig too, so we'll we'll. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe Chris will probably make it on Netflix before we do. Yeah, so. I guarantee you. So, anytime any my fourteen year old daughter, anytime I talk to someone from the UK, she always wants to know their opinion of Doctor Who. What do you think about Doctor Who and the new Doctor Who? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I think that it's um, it's all to do with how you come into it. Really, I think that um, people are nostalgic and naturally nostalgic. So. Um, if you grew up with Doctor Who in the 
50s or 60s or when it, I think 60s, when did it start? Late 50s, 60s maybe? Late, late 50s. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, depending on when you grew up with it, you have a particular nostalgia for that time, you know. So I started watching Doctor Who in the 80s as a kid and sort of and then i think it ended in the 80s maybe late 80s early 90s and then it was it was off tv for nearly 20 years um so my early memories of doctor who is is my connections to it are the sort of the 80s doctors you know um whereas like my parents they would have they, they're more favorable to the earlier doctors you know so you sort of tend to be you sort of tend to sort of you know get a bit nostalgic for, for what you remember and what the things that scared you so you kind of look at the look at it and go that's not scary anymore but then but then the kids who are watching it now they'll be terrified so um i've watched i've watched quite a few of the new series actually i have to say a lot of them are, are really good um I've, there's certain doctors that are better than the others i've i've lost track a little bit to be honest um <laughs> no, that's i think fine. uh yeah that's but uh but yeah it's uh, it's good she was, she was keeping me she was keeping me abreast of the uh, controversy with it now having the first female doctor so that was oh. that's right yeah that was a big controversy with Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm completely out when it comes to that doctor who if you say that i try to think of american health care because I, I don't know who my doctor <laughs> is right now i'm so confused <laughs> uh, yeah yeah, it's going to be. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one, but I, I'm sure once it's happened, it'll. Oh yeah, it'll be. Yeah, it'll, once it, once yeah. they've got into the groove of it, it'll it'll work. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, Chris, we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, taking your uh, part of your night up with us. Our, I guess it's early morning there now. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but uh, we appreciate it's, it, uh, and um, we'll be, we'll hopefully we'll have you back on the show sometime soon, maybe. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. That'd be fantastic. Thank you, Chris. All right, well, that was a. Uh, Great interview. I really enjoyed that. I'm not sure about you, Biggin, but oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Chris just, is fascinating. Yeah, that, like it's legit. Look, at my my dad. I mean, we used to drive in the car in the old beat up car and listen to that all the time. Yeah. And he, of course, he had the albums on the on the turntables too. So anyway, once again, we appreciate Chris McGee with uh, Bob Flex coming on uh, and spending his evening with us. Yeah, uh, can I just also just give him props because dude was doing this at like midnight <laughs> over there. So that's, right. that's like I wouldn't get up. At two o'clock in the morning to take a pee, so <laughs> I appreciate him staying up, staying Absolutely. up that late. Absolutely. So anyway, please go to our Facebook page at Southern Fry Philosophy. You can also go to our website at www.southernfryphilosophy.com, our YouTube at SFP Radio, and Twitter and Instagram at SFP Radio. I tell you, I'm so proud of you remembering that YouTube part. I've been, I've been taking awesome. some ginkgo biloba for my memory. <laughs> Bless you. So, <laughs> so hopefully I'll remember that from now on. So. There you go. Hey, thanks again for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Hey, if you want to check out our stuff, go to southernfriedphilosophy.com. Also, if you want any of our hats or uh, you want a T-shirt, give us a email at sfpradio at gmail.com, and we'll get that out to you. So thanks again for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast.